Good morning. I left my coffee sink safety blanket back over there. I'm just going to go with water. Uh, I'm Bo. I'm an elder here, and I occasionally get the opportunity to uh, teach on a Sunday morning. If you are uh, new here, visiting, or haven't been around for a while, we are in the middle of a sermon series titled All Alone, which actually is a Greek word meaning uh, one another. And it's a little bit different than a typical service. We actually break the teaching up into two different, smaller teaching times. So you only have to put up with me for half of the typical time. Uh, I will be able to preach on encouraging one another today. And uh, before I do that, I would like to pray. So, Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. Thank you for the gift of your word that you've given us, which is bread to us. I just pray that we would be able to feast fully on your word this morning to be filled up and strengthened to do the good work that you've called us each to do. And I pray that your word would dwell in us greatly. So uh, please help me in this time to do my work now. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, encouraging one another. The verse that I'd like to work from today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, where Paul writes, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Why do we encourage one another? Because Paul tells us to the end. Thank you. All right, no, actually, for the why we encourage one another, I would like to call an audible and focus for this first part on the build one another up. Because I was a contractor for a while and still work in construction, I quite enjoy the building side of things. And it is a consistently used image in the New Testament for who we are. So, build one another up in that passage is from a Greek word called oikodomeo, which means to build a house, erect a building, either building up from the foundation or restore by building, to rebuild or repair. And if you remember, we're in a season as a church of removing the high places, repairing the damage, and restoring the watchman. So it's timely for us to be rebuilding and repairing. In Corinthians, Paul writes, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You and I are each a building for God's spirit. Before you were born, he had a blueprint for you. He was incredibly excited on how he was going to construct you to hold his spirit inside of you so that you could exemplify him in a unique way that only you can do. He finds you very important, and he's done a lot of good planning. And you and I individually are a building meant to house his spirit. Also, Peter writes, As you come to him, a living stone, that is Christ, 
rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So not only are we individually each temples of God's spirit, he's also building us up together as a spiritual house. So I'm very good at being individualistic. I'm maybe not quite as good as thinking we're all in this together, right? But that's what his word says. We are individually and corporately a temple for God's spirit. Now let's say you buy a new house. In five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, if you do nothing to the house, is it going to be in the same state that you bought it in? No. Things need repair. Accidents happen. Things get damaged. Things just need to be upkept. One of the ways that we can keep each other up into what God has called us to, again, individually and corporately, is to encourage one another. Buildings don't fix themselves. We need a lot of work. Is it just so that this house can be built up and sit there and look pretty? No. Homes have a purpose and God's buildings have a purpose. Even in comfort, in Thessalonians, the second book of Thessalonians, Paul writes, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So encouragement, and I went into this in my study thinking, encouraging is making people feel nice. Encouraging is actually building up, strengthening one another to do the work. So there's actually work on the back end of encouragement. Okay, let's look at encouragement back in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another. Now, this Greek word is parakaleo. Now, I'm not very good at Greek, but on a blue letter Bible, you can click on the little, how do they say it? And the guy says, Strong's G3870, parakaleo. And I didn't know Greek people from Alabama. <laughs> it means to call to one side, call for, summon, to bring alongside, to address or speak to, call to, call upon, which may be done in the way of, and there's a multiplicity of ways we can encourage one another. Exhortation, entreaty, comfort, instruction, etc. They all require action. They're not passive and they're not niceties. I'm going to, they're not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to reference some other ways that parakaleo was interpreted in the New Testament. It's interpreted as falling down and pleading, falling on your knees and pleading. Begging, imploring strongly, urging to the point of prevailing over another. Paul in Romans wrote, I appeal to you, 
encourage brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together. There's an encouragement and afterwards there's a work. Encouragement requires action on, in part of the encourager and it is requesting action on the part of the one being encouraged. Even in comfort, even comfort is not passive. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we encourage one another because we have immense value given to us by God individually and corporately in order to strengthen us to do the good works that he has planned for us to do individually and corporately. Here's my tips on how to encourage one another. Tip number one, remember who we are speaking to. Sometimes I don't do a good job at this. I come up here to serve either on the drum kit or up in the sound booth, and I've kind of got a bad attitude, and I forget that everybody I'm speaking to is a temple for God and his Holy Spirit. That he died for in order to bring them into his family and make them part of his living house. And that he has a purpose for them and the way that I speak to them actually matters in building them up to do the work that he's called them to do. And I forget that. And I don't always approach people with the attitude I'm supposed to or the amount of respect that God puts on them and value that God puts on them. Cindy, I'm going to skip the reference there again. It's just referencing we're a living house. Tip number two, use the right encouragement tool for the job. When I go to finish my house and I'm putting up trim, I don't set trim and finish nails with a sledgehammer. It doesn't go well. And when I need to demo something, I don't just bring my 16-ounce hammer to the job. We need to use the right tool for the job, and we've been giving, given a lot of encouragement tools. Remember, exhortation, entreaty, comfort, instruction, others. We've got to bring the right tool in the right moment, which means we need some wisdom on that. Imagine, going back to the house metaphor, that a storm comes through, and lightning strikes a tree, and a tree branch falls and obliterates the roof of somebody's house. Opens it up. There's branches there's leaves all, all across the carpet and your friend comes over and they look at the damage and they're like, this is horrible. I am so sorry for you. By the way, I brought you a book on how to prune trees. And if you just have four hours, we can go through this book. I can teach you all about the health of maple trees and how you could have avoided this. 
and some safety in how you're going to prune things in the future. You don't need that. You need the hole in your roof fixed. And if there's a storm coming, the best fix might be a tarp because you don't have time to relay the plywood, the underlayment, get the shingles back up before the next thing hits and you weren't planning on it. You might need comfort. If we're to comfort someone, don't bring instruction. Don't bring knowledge that puffs up. Rather, bring love. Or somebody's kitchen uh, stove might be on fire and they might be making some really poor choices in their life, which is the same as throwing grease on that fire. And it's just getting bigger and bigger and you're watching it. You don't go up to them and go, you know what you need? A hug. No, you got to warn them. You got to grab the fire extinguisher. You got to help put it out. Because it's not just that individual's life that counts. We're being built together as a temple. So if the kitchen is on fire, the whole house could go. And we're responsible for one another in that way. All right. Tip number three, speak in love. Paul in Philemon writes, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you, this is Apostle Paul. He's the apostle to all the Gentiles. That's pretty important. Even though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal or encourage. That's the same word there. Encourage you. We need to, tip number four, speak with wisdom, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit and anchored in Scripture. Paul writes in Ephesians, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. As we are filled with the Spirit, we know how to address one another in that moment. And we need his help sometimes to know which tool to bring. And so we have to be filled with him and relying on him to empower us to do that. And also, Paul writes to encourage Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So we need to know the scripture enough to know how to bring the scripture into people's lives with wisdom. And how often do we do this? Tip number five, do this continually. Author of Hebrews writes, Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And let us consider, this is later in Hebrews, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more. So even more frequently, as you see the day drawing near. It's the day of Christ coming back. On the continually, I have a story to share from my construction time. There was a wonderful, wealthy couple down in Kansas City when I had a contracting company, and they had purchased a lake home for their retirement. Now, the previous owner left the home in disrepair, and we got hired to do a 2,000 square foot cedar deck replacement. 
2,000 square feet of, that's their deck. Yeah, all cedar, lake house, absolutely gorgeous. So every morning, myself and a crew of about six guys would show up. We're getting ready to tear this thing out, re reboard everything, redo beautiful aluminum rails, stain it. It's going to look gorgeous. And every morning, the owner of the home comes out. How are you guys doing? Doing good, doing good. You guys want some coffee? Sure. How do you like your coffee? And he asked every person individually how they liked their coffee every morning we were on the job. Daily, continually. He could have done nothing. I mean, he hired us. He could have just opened up his paper, sat inside, and hoped those guys stopped at Starbucks on the way here or whatever. But he cared for us individually, daily. And it wasn't so that we could sit, on coffee, sit and have coffees on the deck and not do anything. We got a lot of hard work done. It was hot. There was no shade. You know, there's a lot of sweating. But every morning, he came out to greet us and encourage us. He put in an effort. He did it continually. And what he got was a bunch of men willing to work who knew they were cared for, wanted to be there, and gave an exceptional job on where an exceptional job was required. All right. You and I are individually and corporately the temple of God that he is building up. It's going to require continual encouragement for us to grow up into what he's calling us to do to fulfill the purpose. We didn't build a deck so that they could sit inside their home and just look at how pretty it looked. It was going to be used, and you and I should be encouraged to be used to do the work that God has uniquely planned us for. With that, I'd like to invite the worship team back up, and I'm just going to do a quick prayer as they make their way up. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you that you've planned us so well that we as individuals, and even just this church, I just think of all the different churches that are out there, all the different communities that you've brought together, they all look different. We look different here in this church than the one down the street, and we as individuals in this house look different, and you have pleasure in how you designed all of us. I pray that you would uniquely give us an ability to see by your spirit how we can encourage and build one another up to the work that you've called us to, that you in your good pleasure have for us. In your pleasure you have it for us. I pray that we would sense that and that we would be able to see each other for the value that you place on us. In your name, Jesus, amen. Good morning. If you could all stand, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I'm totally joking. <laughs> I just want to start by praying. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for the privilege of gathering together every week to worship you. And I pray this morning that you would take every word and every second and multiply it for your glory. In your name this morning, amen. All right, my name is Stephanie Martin. I am the worship director here, and I have been for almost four years, getting close. 
And I have the incredible privilege of speaking with you this morning about the spiritual practice of worshiping together. And I don't have very long, so I'm going to jump right in. So what is worship? Uh, The word worship is actually defined as these things. To bow, to put one's head to the ground, to kiss like a dog licking its master's hand. And so actually we see that this word is translated by using descriptions of physical actions. They're all postures. They're postures of their heart. And these are physical actions demonstrating that there is something so incredible about the one who is being worshipped that the worshiper has to get lower, has to bow down, has to decrease, right? That's why oftentimes in the past we've talked about this idea of the word worship being expressed as worship because it's all about who we are expressing to the Lord his infinite worth. Implied in the magnitude of his worth is a natural lowering of our own importance. It's the only thing that makes sense when considering who God is. It's to lift him up and for us to get low because he alone is worthy and it only makes sense for us to bring him our wild affection because he is the master and by that equation, we are the dog. <laughs> it's just funny. It's just meant to be funny. Okay. But kind of true. Okay. So for this morning, we're going to define worship this way. It's an attitude of our heart that recognizes God's worth. And it's an acknowledgement in our heart that he alone is our Lord, our master. And from this simple definition of worship, we can easily conclude that almost everything that we do in our everyday life that is done according to his worth and for his glory is worship. It's a life of worship. That's why looking back at all of the One Another series, we can look at loving one another, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, showing hospitality, living generously. All of it is what is required to live a life worthy of God. And so it's all considered worship. So that's a very broad starting point for worship this morning. The attitude, it's an attitude of the heart. It's an acknowledgement that he is Lord. And so let's focus in a little bit more narrowly on something that we do together quite often when we gather for worship, and that is singing and musical worship. We all have memories, likely, when we heard a song that just blew our minds, right? There's something about the way something is orchestrated, expressed a melody that seemed to understand what we were going through. Music is a very, 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 very powerful thing, and it should be because he's the one that created it. It is both wildly creative and incredibly mathematical and scientific. It's both at the same time. And then when you add the power of word to it, oh my goodness, it's powerful. And so it's easy to see for us as human beings, we love music, We probably love it because he made it. But this morning, I want to look at why do we sing when we're together. And this is oftentimes the place where we start with, because he's commanded us to. It's not optional. Which is, spoiler alert, point number two. But for this morning, I'd like to start at a different place. And that's to start with the fact that God just really likes singing. Well, how are you going to prove that? I'm glad you asked. I believe the main reason why we sing especially when we come together, is because he loves it. He himself sings. Zephaniah 3.17 describes the Lord as quieting us in his love and rejoicing over us with singing. Can you imagine that? 
your father in heaven singing over you just because he loves you? His word says that that's what he does. And in Matthew 26, we get a little glimpse of Jesus singing a hymn with his disciples, which I just love. (laughs) I love that they captured that for us. So he himself sings. From the beginning of time to the end of time, there is song. In Job chapter 38, God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? You see, God uses the word singing to describe what his creation did at at his conception. And in the end, we know that we come together at an incredible meal and we're going to eat. And as Jesse Bariga would say, it's going to be fabulous. But we know that part of that meal is going to include us singing about his holiness and his worth. You see, there's a new song being sung around the throne room of God. And it starts with the elders and it goes to the creatures and that it includes the heavenly bodies and then it includes us. And then every living creature will be singing a song of his worth at the end of everything. It's holy stuff. This is amazing stuff. So from the beginning to the end, there is song. And he's given us his word. And we love that book very much. We respect it. And in his word, he has decided in his goodness to put in at least 185 different songs, whole books within the book dedicated to it. And the awesome part about who God is is that those songs encompass a wide variety of our human experience. There's lamenting and grief and question. There's celebration and joy. There's victory over defeat and rescue from the enemy. There's weird songs about specific types of destruction we'd like to see on our enemies. It's wild. There's even an entire book about the physical benefits of being married. He put songs in there that encompass a lot of everything. And so I propose to you this morning that if he didn't love singing, he, he probably wouldn't do it himself. It probably wouldn't be at the beginning of all things, at the end of all things. And there certainly wouldn't be such a large variety of songs found in our holy word. Amen? But that brings us to point number two. Why do we sing? Because he commands us to, and it's not optional. (laughs) So let's look again this morning at Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, which says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's really clear here that these are, this is an expectation over us as believers. It's a command that we would sing. And I want to point out, because sometimes when we hear that, like it's a command, it can feel like, oh, okay, I got to do this thing. It's something I got to do now to like make God happy with me. But I want to encourage you that because he's good and because he really likes us and because he really likes it when we sing, he is woven into it inherit benefits individually and corporately. We know it from that, especially from that Colossians 3.16, that there's something about singing that helps the word of Christ dwell within us richly. I mean, that's part of the power of lyrics, right? We come together, we sing these songs, 10,000 Reasons. We rehearse the good news of the gospel, literal words from his scripture, and we rehearse the nature and character of what he's like and who we are because of it. And you know what? As we do that, we change. We actually change. Our brains change, our bodies change, our outlook changes. 
There's something so powerful in it individually, but also for one another. It's a part of the way that we engage in what Bo just talked about, encouraging one another. It's a way that we address one another as believers. And so there's obvious spiritual benefit linked to singing, but I thought it would be fun this morning to cheekily list a few of the other benefits of singing that have been proven by science. (laughs) Singing has been proven to help relieve stress, stimulate our immune responses, increase our ability to handle pain. It improves sleep and it may even help with snoring, although that hasn't been true in our house. Uh, It improves your lung function develops a sense of belonging and connection because it releases oxytocin, which is the good stuff that bonds you with others. It enhances your memory. It helps with grief and emotional agony, improves mental health and mood. You see, there's a ton of benefits in singing. And it's probably not been surprising that we look back at the Bible and go, oh, he put songs in there for every type of occasion because it's really good for us to sing our way through life in every circumstance. It helps us to heal and get better. Helps us to be victorious. It's good. So that's a simple case this morning for why we sing together when we gather for worship. God likes it. He's commanded us to. And in his goodness, it's a mutual, mutually beneficial activity that is almost always free and easy to do. Because, you see, it doesn't matter how old you are, mostly. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter your race or your gender. We all can sing. He made us to do it. It's okay if you don't like your voice because he likes you how he made you. So that by default means he likes the sound of your voice, whether we do or not. Okay? So please sing. All right. So that's a big part of what we do when we're together as a church. We sing. It's part of our musical worship. Normal. Normal thing to do. And I want to put up on the screen right here just a collage of other type, normal type of human activities that we engage in. You can see... There's a birthday party, and there's a proposal, and there's prom dancing and shouting at a football game. There's, these are just normal parts of our everyday human experience. Maybe not every day we don't go to a football game, but we do engage in these things regularly. And I just wanted to quickly put that up on the screen because the Bible is really great about giving us a list of other type of activities that are totally natural and normal for us to engage when we engage in musical worship before him. Singing, standing, clapping, lifting hands, playing instruments, shouting, kneeling, bowing, and dancing. And for some reason, some of those activities are easier for us to consider doing when we're in a secular environment, right? It's just, I don't know what it is. But I want to point out this morning that if you take all those activities and you put them in front of a holy, worthy God, they probably make even more sense to do, right? Actually, more sense. We stand for a bride because we're giving her honor and respect. Why wouldn't we stand for God to give him honor and respect? There is something natural and impulsive about when someone does something so cool, like get a touchdown in the last minute of the game and your team wins, and you're like, yes! And you don't mind it because it's natural and it feels right. Right? So it makes sense that it would only be considered a natural thing that we would want to do. You saved me from hell, yes! You love me as I am. Thank God. You're amazing. I want to clap for you. I can't handle how awesome you are. I got to get low. I got to bow down. And even though I'm not very good at it, something about the spirit inside of me makes me want to dance. And we see this with our kids, right? My Evie, every time a song comes on, her little body just gets, you know, we don't talk about Bruno. Yep. 
on repeat. There's something in us wired to automatically do those things, and God dignifies them by putting them in his word as normal things for us to do when we worship him. It's pretty exciting stuff. So one last thought on that is that we love children. We say that. We're saying that over and over and over because we mean it. So mothers and fathers, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, we are demonstrating to our kids in this room what it means and what it looks like to worship the Lord. There's so much more for us in this place. And I pray that we will grow in more freedom of expression, confidence in his love, so that we can teach our kids how to do the same thing. Amen? All right, now we're going to zoom in one more time. Very few minutes to do this, which is fine. Into the heart of worship. And we're going to look at a story in the word of God from John chapter 4. And it's the heart of worship because Jesus goes out of his way to meet someone. And this person was a Samaritan. And Jews and Samaritans, they had a beef with each other. Bad stuff. And not only was this person a Samaritan, it was also a woman, and he was a man. And she wasn't just a woman, she was gross, full of sin, openly, probably so much so that she was either treated like a piece of trash or a dog or at least felt like one. And yet he, in John chapter 4, our Jesus, goes out of his way to meet with her, and they have this crazy interaction where he explains a lot of good news about a lot of stuff, but what he also does in that moment is entirely changes the rules for worship from that point forward in him. So that's why we're going to look at that today. Focusing in on John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus says to her, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. See, in her context, she was actually someone who was mostly excluded for worship because she wasn't a Jew. She couldn't go to the temple. She was a chick, and she was a sinful one at that. And the good news for her that day was now and forevermore, worship wouldn't be exclusive to her, but it would be inclusive. And that's for us today. Because of Jesus, we are included in it. Because of him, it's not about a race of people, a class of people, a gender, or a special location. It's now about spirit and truth. Because of Jesus, we don't have to go to the temple because our bodies are the temple where the Holy Spirit dwells, as we talked about earlier in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19. Worship is no longer for the holy priest to perform because now we are called the royal priesthood and we're called to declare his praise, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. We don't have to offer animal sacrifices anymore because now our lives are meant to be living sacrifices to him, Romans 12, 1. This is a picture of true worship. True worship, I would propose this morning, happens the best in two contexts. And number one, it's in the context of our everyday life. I mean, that was the good news of the message of what Jesus brought to that woman. The rituals and the rules fall behind. It's about you and me, right? And that's the invitation for us today. We defined worship earlier as an attitude that understands God's worth. And that happens when we offer who we are 
and the honesty of how we are and the transparency of what we are living through. And when all of that comes together and our attitude is in alignment with the truth of his worth, we are experiencing true worship. And it's okay in some harder seasons when it's a sacrifice of praise that you bring to the table. Because he has dignified worship in our everyday life. And that means whatever you're going through, he wants to show you his worth in that place so that you can heal and get through it. So that you can rise up out of it and comfort others. It's just true. It's good news, you guys. And lastly, true worship happens in the context of family. And by that I mean this. We defined worship earlier as the acknowledgement that he is our Lord and master. But now through the new rules made for us by Jesus Christ, we get to acknowledge that our master is actually described as a loving father who's looking for true worshipers. We aren't dogs. We are his beloved sons and daughters. And he absolutely loves it when we come before him unbridled in our affection, even if it means dancing, because he loves us and he's our father and he's the one that we worship together. All right, so this morning as I close, I'm gonna have my husband come up and help me close. I'm gonna pray for us. Father, I thank you um, that you are definitely worthy. I thank you that you are a God who took all of, our, uh, all of our sin upon yourself and you made a way for us never to have to be separated from your love and that we can please you simply by singing, simply by enjoying fellowship with you and knowing you. I thank you that you have brought dignity to our everyday lives through your son. I thank you that you are here every week with us. In your name, amen. To close this morning, I thought it would be appropriate since we know that he likes it when we sing, to stand and end with a chorus together that Bo is gonna lead us in. Why don't you stand with us? Last time, I promise. I'm picking a note out of thin air. Yep. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all, for from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Let's sing it louder. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Amen. You can go and have a great day, but we would really love it if you would stay and help us record. <laughs> if you can. You can meet us up here if you're able to stay.